Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. It's not Simon Cardi hosting this week, which feels like an extreme rarity these days. Boo. It's me. My name is Dale Driver and I'm joined with Matt Perslow. Hello. Hello. And Jesse. Hello. You didn't get surname, Jesse. Just That's Jessie. fine. That's all right. <laughs> uh, let's just jump straight to it. Hitman. It's out this week. Hitman 3, I should say. And also, is Hitman VR, is that just Hitman 3? That's not a separate thing, right? No, it's within Hitman 3 on the PS4 version, but you can play Hitman 1, 2, and 3 in right, PSVR. Right, okay. Uh, so we've all been playing it. I think um, you guys are a little bit more than me. Um, how are we getting on with it so far? Matt, Matt what's your thoughts? Uh, it's, as is with the other two, it's a masterpiece. Like, I genuinely think it's one of <laughs> the best here. stealth series ever made. It's kind of IO at the height of their game. But this one, I think in particular, shows the learnings of four years worth well five technically now of working on this incarnation of hitman and i just think it's a studio that's nailed that vision so incredibly well because it's obviously their sandbox player driven simulation games in which there's very little scripting you know you are dumped as agent 47 into a mission you have a target and it's do whatever the hell you want to kill that target which obviously allows for a huge amount of creativity on the point of the player but i think the real strength that this one has is there's a bit more creativity within the way that the game itself can tailor that experience for you so by now everybody will almost certainly have seen on twitter or on various different websites some sort of praise for the dartmoor mission which i think is probably yeah the best example of this throughout the six missions that are presented in Hitman 3. But that has a mission within a mission where it's it's basically it's an Agatha Christie knives out style kind of deal <laughs> where you turn up at a mansion and you've got to kill the matriarch in this huge country estate. But that family is also having the issue that someone has died at this mansion <laughs> and they've hired a PI to come and investigate it. Now, if you just want to kind of do silent, you know, sort of assassin work and work on your own, you can sort of use that, that they're a bit obsessed with getting that dealt with and it sort of is a smokescreen for you. But obviously you can dress up as the PI and you can suddenly do a mission that you don't have to do. It has no bearing on the, (laughs) the story at all, but you can just solve that murder. And I think this kind of introduction of semi scripted elements that run through that are a bit more cinematic than hitman has been previously allows you to get a different feel for kind of the work that io Mm. have done with this and there's Mm. something like that in pretty much all of the missions that are in this game which that's good to know yeah it's kind of i think the dartmoor one is the most in-depth but all of them have like all the previous hitmans in this trilogy have had what they call like the opportunity Mi- system. Which... They're called they're called like mission stories. Specifically, well, now they might have like two to three kind of uh, set paths that you can follow throughout a location in order to get like the most of the story. And I think 
those mission stories is what is what people kind of get hung up on because it kind of tutorializes each like time you play it i guess mm -hmm. um, in terms of like when you're first going through it, i think like where hitman really shines is like the challenge sections specifically because after you play the like the initial mission story section once you go back into it that's where the game really shines and opens up more so instead of following these specific waypoints you're now thinking a lot more for yourself so like take the dubai mission which a lot of people have seen in the trailers and that's the first mission uh it has around 10 or more assassination challenges and each of them have different amounts of xp value so one i did yesterday was that you know i could poison one target or instead i can try and assassinate both of the targets using a single bullet in a sniper and each of those have different xps and i think it's those things that you can see that objective and there is no objective marker so then you're being a bit more creative and thoughtful of how you can actually approach those assassin assassinations and i think that's where people get caught up because once they finish those mission stories they're like well i'm kind of done now like i don't i can't see the set path mm. but really you have to make one for yourself and the challenges are like a good jumping off point for those yeah i feel like as um as what type of game player i am it's kind of the best and the worst element of hitman for me <laughs> is the fact that there's this just infinite not infinite but there's a lot of creativity there and so many like permutations and variations of things you can do but mm. i always find my first experiences i've just sort of stumbled my way through these things like the dartmoor one um i immediately just went straight to the target and killed her pretty easily <laughs> yeah. without getting caught and then afterwards i realized there was all this pi stuff and i started doing the murder mistress thing <laughs> after that she's been dead the entire time and but then that's on me like not on the game i guess yeah. whereas i just felt like i didn't have like a seamless experience there mm. but i love the fact that that option is there and i've never i don't think i've ever seen it in like a sort of single player action game before where there's just this such this emphasis on replayability of each mission like you wouldn't yeah. have that in like the last of us would you you wouldn't go oh mm. i've got to redo this to see what else can happen yeah and this one hitman always felt like a, you know a single player like narrative driven game to me and now it's very much this sort of um i think when they released it in the dlc the season form previously mm -hmm. i think that spoke to me the most because i could really like say okay this is the map i've got sapienza this month i'm just focusing on this and redoing it and redoing it seeing other things i can come up with mm. and my natural inclination this time was to do one even though i've done it kind of terribly just go to the next yeah. one where yeah. really I, I think i should probably be going back and redoing so, them. yeah and I I mean, actually, you can treat it sorry go ahead matt uh, sorry. so i actually think hitman was at its best in terms of as a release system in the first game mm. of, of this trilogy because i do think there was a wonderful thing of getting paris when it first launched and playing paris basically to death to the point of yes, like i knew exactly everything I like i knew all the 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 guard patrols i knew all the opportunities i could do and i felt like i truly mastered that mission and then yeah. when you get sapienza turned up it was like it was another opportunity to really intimately know what this level mm. design was and it mm. is true that when they come out as a game, like you play those missions and then you jump to the next one. And certainly I completed it because you can complete the game actually fairly quickly. It's not a huge yeah. time sink. And I said, yeah. you know, and I have done all of those missions as Silent Assassin, kind of like I've been quite slow and methodical about them, but they're still all between an hour and a half to two hours each when you do it that way for the first time. But I am now going back from the start of the game and replaying those missions and seeing what other alternatives there are. But I know that the reason why they changed to kind of like a full game was because no one really liked that season pass <laughs> style in the first uh, game. Yeah. But I do sort of wish that... 
I know I've just got to pace myself, right? But I, I yeah, think yeah. that was a better way for the game they've made. But I'm pleased that they never stopped making the style of game that Hitman 1 was yeah, and they've yeah. just continued to iterate and make that better. Mm. No, that's, yeah. that's how I felt like once I opened the game because like, I mean, yesterday when like it actually went live, I had Hitman, suddenly Hitman 1 and 2 unlocked. And then when I went to the menu, it's like, there's this huge wealth of content now and it's kind of like overwhelming. But then when you just go for one specific mission and you can kind of treat it like, trying to unlock a bunch of different trophies really because mm -hmm. each challenge gives you like you know kill this target by poisoning them or kill this target by using an explosive golf ball and then you yeah. just have to go in a mission find the item and use it to the best of your ability and it's treating it as if you're doing some mad really long trophy hunt with all these yeah. different challenges and stuff and that's not even um <laughs> mentioning like the uh the escalation contracts as well and that's you know separate from the in-game challenges and the mission stories because these escalation contracts they're a set of three missions in every single location within the game. And some some like locations might have uh, two different variate variations of escalation contracts, but essentially they are you going into a map and you have to kill a certain amount of targets in a certain way, and you might have side objectives, but those missions are often more difficult than what you've already experienced. So one of them, like I played through yesterday, was me going into Dubai. I just had my suit, no weapons, and you're not allowed to save at all. And you're going through this mission trying to kill these three separate targets um and then you know you get through that all easy but the next one i have to do is having to go back into dubai and then kill five targets one of them has to die with an axe one of them has to die mm -hmm. by an explosion and in all these escalation contracts you can never save so it is mm. like the hardest variation of hitman possible and it's really tense and they're all always the same specific targets that are also like no they're different targets they're different targets. Oh, every time yeah, yeah. So like one of the targets might be a bartender who's always out in the open. Another might be a security guard and stuff. So it's not targets that you've experienced in the main game. It's different NPCs in the world. But the main yeah. thing is you can't save. And there's that extra level of difficulty that just makes it so intense. But those, but, but those NPCs are on strict like patterns and stuff, right? Yeah, just or like just all... like every just like every yeah. NPC within the game already. You know, you could follow one particular person and learn their pattern. Yeah. But the fact that you can't save and, you know, some are more out more in the open than others uh, or some require you know to be killed with you know a fish or something like trying to find <laughs> these items and do it specifically whilst you can't save it's, it's just mad yeah, <laughs> I, I i do love the system of of how they build their sandbox areas like you know every single person is a character who has you know a set path and a set like goals of what they try to achieve yeah and um i guess coming from lots of open world games where there's a lot of characters who don't do those sort of things <laughs> yeah, it's, a lot it's, of a, it's a nice change of pace mm -hmm. it, it's such a like the economy of game design there as well the fact that you can play it as a campaign but there's this amount of replayability and the fact that when you start playing it over and over you realize that actually the levels are sort of bigger than you ever thought they were because mm. other game modes will be compartmentalizing things that it wants you to do in like this kitchen in the basement of this hotel that you didn't actually realize was there the first time you played and kind of like its ability to build layers upon layers because it understands that the game serves more than just a campaign i think it, yeah. it's, it's a really clever system that io have designed and it's that thing it combines a very very serious sort of subject of <laughs> it's it's a guy that kills people for a living and <laughs> especially this time around i think Hitman's never been a huge story game, but I think this one is more story-led in the campaign side than the other. It's, it's very much the tying up of this trilogy. And the thing yeah. I did like is 
like in the Dubai mission, if you disguise yourself as a security guard, like the point where you get hailed to their office, they start talking about the Morocco mission that you did like yeah, games yeah. previously. And all of that, every mission has got a callback. So if you are a big fan, it does feel like the culmination of this. But it's in terms of kind of like that culmination of game design, I can now see why they're almost ready to do that James Bond thing. Because it yeah, feels like yeah, all the pieces are here. Like there are so many kills in Hitman that are just Roger Moore kind of one-liners <laughs> just done as physical form, right? They're so yeah. funny at times. My 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 concern about that is um sort of, you know, Bond has become quite since those days, especially more of a stoic sort of straightforward character. And I wonder they're gonna I wonder if they're gonna lose the element of sort of wackiness from it well, well, I think, they, this is assuming that they're putting over this direct yeah, thing yeah. and they're yeah. probably not doing that but well, there's so many like variations of bond bond used to be super serious and there's sometimes where bond would be super camp and then sometimes it'll be super violent like you think of daniel craig in casino royale he absolutely like fucks people up big time but then you look at another bond and yeah he's but he doesn't do it with the really that's the thing that's the thing about <laughs> the fact that it's a player-driven situation right like I actually, in my playthrough of Hitman, haven't done that many silly kills yet. Like, that's something that I'll do the thing. So my Agent 47 is actually a bit of a ruthless bastard. Yeah. And so that I like that idea of if they do, you just use the Hitman formula for a Bond game. There's a huge opportunity there for you to craft a Bond that's yours. Because that's it's an or- they said it's going to be an origin story as well, so it's not like it's particularly Connery. But... If your favourite Bond is Brosnan, who did have like a, his fair share of quite cheesy sort of elements, <laughs> you could ensure that every time you killed someone, it was yeah. in yeah. a weirdly wacky way that it got a bit of kind of like, I'm going to fire the bad guy's laser into his own eye or something <laughs> like that. But if, this if, is us. Sorry, no, go ahead. I was going to say, if we we're going to assume that they were just porting straight over the Hitman engine to, a, to yeah. a Bond game, I think the one thing that they would need to fix for me is how combat works yeah. when you you have caused an alert and people are on you. Like, I want that to feel dynamic and fast and furious. And the fact that Bond can shoot his way out of the situation where it often feels like Hitman, you can't really do that. <laughs> yeah, Hitman, like, like, being, like, in the game for however many years is still a, kind of a shit shot unless he's using a sniper, <laughs> which is shocking. But that's the thing, like, we're assuming that, I guess, this James Bond game isn't going to be like some sort of well i guess linear experience i guess everyone's assuming it's just going to be hitman but james bond you wouldn't i think it's because of you sorry i I think it's because they've had so much success with this formula yeah maybe not maybe maybe not as well critical success maybe not as commercial success but attaching the bond license to what is a critically uh, perceived successful thing might be the perfect formula You've got to imagine they've got more ideas than that, though. You know, yeah, they're going to be doing something a bit different. I'm going to assume that it will be kind of like Hitman framework, but with a a system that allows you to actually have a good punch-up and actually have a good <laughs> gunfight. It needs to sort of escalate it to that whole thing of where it becomes a bit more like, you know how in Deus Ex you could actually just go all guns blazing if you want. It was a it was a good stealth game, but it was also good at, at shooting. Like, it needs to have a better balance there. And also... Mm-hmm probably needs to have some good car chases in there so i think it will be kind of like a more cinematic kind of idea but the hitman games have been so well like loved because they do sort of make you feel a bit like bonds like it's got the music it's got quite a lot of the globe hopping the right locations 
it's all yeah. primed the blueprints are there it's just mm. finding the bonds to inject in that but i think they've got yeah. with those mission stories this time around that do feel a little bit more cinematic rather than a set of individual goals to lead you through a map that maybe you don't know that well i can yeah. see the makings of where they're going with that but i just think it's it the, makes for an excellent final chapter to hitman it's the perfect like dev studio to do a bond game i can't think of like another studio that's better for that mm. speaking of final chapters <laughs> the next game we're talking about is not the final chapter in this <laughs> well, series. Uh, uh, so last night was the Resident Evil showcase and we got to see quite a lot of Resident Evil Village as among some other little bits, mm-hmm. trinkets. Mm. Most important news obviously coming out of that was the skins coming to Division 2. Everyone yeah, was yeah. very I'm, excited about well, that. Weirdly enough, I'm kind <laughs> of looking forward to that more than something else that we haven't talked about yet that we'll get to, but... I mean, yeah. everyone's seen it, Jesse. What are you talking about? Reverse. Yeah, I'm talking about reverse, man. Like that's made me that's made me upset and disappointed. Okay, do you want, do you want to tell us why? Before we get to village, let's do this. Okay, so yeah, our reverse looks to be like a PvP slash PvP multiplayer only experience where you're essentially what looks to be in the trailer in a deathmatch scenario against other iconic Resident Evil characters. So hmm. you might be playing as Hunk or someone else might be playing as Jill and you're facing off each other and then when you die you turn into like an iconic boss bow and then is you're that still... like do we know that or is that just i mean that's just what it looked like like in the okay. trailer it shows hunk dying and then he turns into jack baker so it seems that oh, right, yeah. you're so playing as like these... one of them had turned into you know the big uh like goldfish enemies that are in re3 yeah 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 in yeah. the sewers like it looked like yeah. someone had turned into one of them but the the thing the th- outside of that premise not really like i'm not enamored by it I think the main thing as well is the visual style that our reverse has decided to go for, which is this weird, like cell shaded old style comic book dot kind of pop art, isn't it? But it's not even like it's, it's not. It's they like, haven't even gone whole hog on it. It yeah. feels it's like, like a it's little like baby set towards it. <sighs> Just yeah. well, when I was it's watching that trailer, I genuinely like for a shot. I think, oh, is it cell shaded? And then I couldn't tell on like the next yeah. scene they'd show. So, yeah. like you say, Dale, it's like they've not got the balls to go all in on it, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah and- dude. Also, I thought the um, the Resident Evil Two like RPD precinct as well just looked like the most boring area to it have was, this shoot out in. It was so wide and just so empty looking and devoid of yeah. life. But that's because, you know, it ha- it's multiplayer, so they have to kind of scale up the maps in order to fit, you know, a million BOWs and people like facing off on each other. But it's the thing as well, it reminds me like, so this is meant to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Resident Evil. But then about six years ago, you look back at the 20th anniversary and Capcom did the same thing when they released Umbrella Core. Yeah. which was similar in premise pvp slash pve multiplayer only thing and that was just frankly just shit Did that was a terrible game find it odd why they have this obsession with creating a resident evil multiplayer game or mode that will catch on it feels like they've tried a hundred times and it almost never works i know outbreak yeah. is like popular with some of the hardcore fans but it, you know it didn't really like push through to any sort of mainstream attachment. Well, that, that's the thing like it was it was a bit sounds lame because i'm just a fan of it anyway but i I would consider it a bit ahead of its time because you had all these campaigns Mm. which were fully playable in co-op with like four people on the playstation 2 which is kind of mad and you don't really you didn't really have that on any other game in that console and that's why people still play it today because that's an experience that people want well 
you know, remade specifically, but yeah. then you go to Resident Evil 5, and I think that had like online versus mode, which didn't quite work. And then and then you had 6, which features some more multiplayer as well. But, but for me, Resident Evil isn't about deathmatch, team deathmatch, search and destroy kind of stuff. Like if you're going to do multiplayer Resident Evil, it should just be a solid cooperative experience, yeah. much well, I mean, like Outbreak. Dale, a couple of days ago, you've mentioned among sort of like us as a group, <laughs> Like, yeah. you thought that there was a potential that they might announce multiplayer, and you said, I bet it's Among Us, but, like, one of the characters is, like, a Resident Evil shapeshifter style thing. Yeah. Like, that that feels smart. like such a much better idea. Like, it yeah. suits the Resident Evil universe much better than Deathmatch does. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we, my, my thought was, they, they, you know, they've been trying for so long to make a popular multiplayer mode now why wouldn't you latch onto one of the biggest things of last year yeah. and yeah. try and you know and do and do what everyone's done with battle royale you know like copy like there's no more space for battle royale as far mm. as i'm concerned but there is yeah. now space to copy this format for a little bit and there will definitely be more games coming out this year that copy that format so i assume that was going to be an easy win for them um mm. i would also argue like it doesn't need to. It's it's like they're doing this thing from what was it ten years ago where every game felt like they needed multiplayer yeah. mode, and then since then a lot of them have learned. Actually, do you know what Mass Effect? Do you know what God of War? We don't need these multiplayer modes. We can focus on being a single player game. Like yeah. look how much some of these games are like. I know Spider Man's got a license attached to it, but it's done so well and it doesn't need any multiplayer component. Why can't we just double down on Resident Evil being a great <laughs> single player game? And then forget this idea of multiplayer. I but but there has to be data that supports something that I guess the majority of fans don't quite understand. Maybe. Because, I mean, like before Resident Evil 3 came out, I was looking forward to that game. And then when you heard about Resistance, I was a, I was a bit iffy on it. But then Resistance ended up being a better example of, you know, a more enjoyable game than the Resident Evil 3 remake ended up being, to be fair. Like Resistance has more of a fan base than the 3 remake does. That's so, true. Like R-Reverse, for all we know, could come out and you know be good but at this point i'm gonna say no well because it doesn't look good it appears like it's not good but yeah. the, if it plays really fun and there's a good fun loop there and you never know i'd give it a shot because it comes with village anyway yeah yeah like um, so it's there to, it's, it's there to you know, be experienced so like i'm absolutely going to give it a go but that trailer yeah. didn't leave a great initial impression is what i'm trying to say uh so on to village anyway we got a trailer <laughs> like a three minute long trailer which gave us uh, some extra long looks at a very, very tall vampire lady. Which, Everyone you know, loves that tall vampire lady, The internet lady, has man. taken to her immediately. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just because it's such a weird idea that I definitely feel like she has Nemesis and Mr. maybe more Mr. X potential here mm -hmm. of like memes and like oh, popular culture. A hundred percent. And it helps that she isn't some like fucking disgusting monster that has I mean, like will be, holes though. in her she face. Will be. Yeah, yeah she will turn into like some disgusting blob at the end of the game or yeah. something. But initially she looks... Vaguely human. I mean, that's what that's. It's not the Mister X thing that will be the memes. The memes is because people want her to step on them. That's that's yeah. why she's going to be popular. <laughs> hey, I don't judge. <laughs> well, people whatever, people are horny for the vampire lady, and you need to relax um, on Twitter. I uh, I'm very excited for this game. I think it's taken a lot of the cues from Resident Evil Four and Seven, and it feels like they've combined them in like the perfect way. And the setting looks great. The the theme and the tone looks great. Um, my concern is that they're going to fall into that familiar trap of having like a secret underground base be underneath this castle. And I really don't want that to happen this time. There's 100% a secret umbrella lab within that castle. 
that's fully decked out with stuff. It's it's gonna I just, happen. I just think it's played out. I, I why can we not have this? Like four was a much more isolated story, even though it did have those sort of connections and laboratory stuff. Yeah, I feel like they can tell a story of just Ethan trying to save his daughter, and yes, have your your odd. You've got your Chris connection and maybe some other umbrella connections, but tell the story of you know it appears like he's going against this family of vampires, and they're like there's a whole family. They're all going to be bosses, I imagine. That's, yeah. have that as a story we don't need all these extra elements that's that's what i want from resi Evil Village. i must say i do like the trope of resi having some mad ball so i know a lot of people <laughs> don't like the boat stuff from resi yeah. 7 i actually quite i like i don't think it's laid out all that well i think as a level design it's 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 not like great but mm. i can remember playing resi for the first time and like i love that i think the house is much better is like the yeah but I did get a thrill out of when all the stuff about she's a secret agent, she was on this boat, and I was like, yeah, this is proper resi, and I really <laughs> like this. So I do hope that there's a cool element to it where it's just like there's more to it on the surface. Yeah. But I, as you say, like I think the ratio was wrong in 7, and I think it yeah. does need to be like 80% about exploring that village and mm. that grand sort of, baroque-ish sort of architecture and that it's so gilded and like that weird high class but low class kind of wealthiness (laughs) to it and i think that is a look i've obviously it pulls a bit on salazar's uh, castle from four yeah yeah but i do think it's got its own visual identity it does feel quite different to anything we've had in resi and that i think is really exciting it's a lot more royal and actually I guess kept in a good condition. You look at back at Salazar's castle. That place is like a fucking dump. They didn't give a <laughs> shit about taking care of that place. And this place actually looks like these very tall ladies live in there and take care yeah. of it or something. And to be fair, there's only one of them's tall. The oh other yeah, three the others are, are just not, kind of vanilla. Just so we don't care about them. <laughs> but no, um, but it, it's it's interesting that they they're clearly vam- I mean never 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 said vampires, but the, there's enough evidence there to suspect they're at least vampiric in some. I mean, there's like werewolves in this game and they are blatantly vampires as well in regards yeah. to like the, you know, four or three sisters, whoever they are. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm excited as well just because Resident Evil 7 acted as a soft reboot and I did enjoy that. And like, I feel like it sometimes has the Star Wars thing where it's like they have to tie back to like, you know, the Chris oh, yeah. bloodline and have Jill there somewhere and, you know, Umbrella and Wesker and stuff like that. It always has to tie back to something. But um. Considering this is meant to be the, the conclusion to Ethan's storyline, I'm looking forward just to seeing that mm. end. But then I still have this thing in my head where when you watch the trailers, there's like the opening part where, you know, Ethan and me are all happy and stuff. And then Chris just barges in. He's like a fucking tank and outright just executes Mia. And I just, I hope that Chris isn't going to somehow turn into a villain, but I don't think they would, I don't think they're brave enough to do that. I feel like Mia's probably... That's probably either a nightmare or she's like some sort of doppelganger or a spy mm. or something like yeah, it's, that's good they're, they're never going to do anything like your favorite boy chris is suddenly turned evil and is executing your wife <laughs> it's like that's 100 yeah. percent not gonna happen well I, I i definitely think you're right as in she's either a doppelganger or chris is being manipulated or you know mind control or something like it's all the like steroids the, he's on, resident mate. evil 7 <laughs> was big into its mind control aspects right so yeah um i've i've done a um a rewind theater that's a trailer breakdown that's going live today um and they're kind of speculating a, a lot of that because i felt like seven was so heavy on that i feel like some of that's going to bleed over i definitely yeah. feel like there's some sort of element of control um like whether it be parasitic or you know technology i don't know 
Yeah. Um, Resident Evil is probably a combination of the two somewhere. Yeah, that, that's um, the thing. After it went, like, after Resident Evil left Raccoon City, like, the story was already mad, but now it's just completely bonkers and, like, people having devices attached to their chest that has mind control and all this other mad crap. Like, you don't know what's going to happen, really. I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with uh, the connections. Like, I want there to be some connections for the fans and also just, like... You know, it's a, it's a cool... We've been following this game series for so long. It's cool to have these little moments. I just don't want it to drive the core narrative or anything. I don't want it to be the main, like, linchpin of it all. I think what they did with Seven in that regards was perfect. You know, just yeah, the, yeah. the final cut scene, you see a, an umbrella logo and it's Chris Redfield revealed. And there was a kind of, like, a few little drops here and there about the Arkley Mountains incident and that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I felt that that was the perfect amount and I hope they sort of carry on with that trajectory. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else in that showcase? I'm just uh, trying to you think. Have, you have Infinite Darkness, which is coming to Netflix at yeah. some point, and that takes place, I think they mentioned, a couple years after Resident Evil 4. Like, mm. I'm looking forward to that more than the live-action film and the, the Wesker Ooh. sister, you know, friggin' comedy act that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm the exact opposite. Like, the CGI one, I feel like I've seen variations of that so many times now. There's been, like, four of them. Um, I think it's just going to be, it's going to be fun probably, but it's just going to be another one of them. Whereas the yeah. live action one, it could either go terribly wrong or really good. See, you that's, know, that's what I'm hoping, at least with like the CGI ones, like when you're thinking, when you're looking back at like the Alice, not even trilogy, just that line of films, like at least the CG yeah. ones were more Resident Evil and you kind of, you knew what you were getting, but with those films, they were just bad. Um, yeah. But like you said, this, the new film can go in either direction, but I'm happy that it's, you know, it's got the main cast of characters and at least, you know, it will be able to see the like Resident Evil 1, 2 and 3 maybe in live action in a mm. condensed film might be fun. So yeah. we'll see. Cool. Uh, um, we got anything else before we move on to uh, Matt's quiz? Spoilers, Matt's doing a quiz. <laughs> uh, um, me, me and Jesse, we've been, we've been playing The Forest recently, haven't we? You've oh been, yeah, that's quite good you actually. Spoke about, you spoke about The Forest recently, but you got me into it. Yeah. And now... Um, that, that's a fun game. Actually, we had some feedback about that. So let, Did we actually? Do that now, actually. Let's have a look. Um, oh, yeah. So this is from Dan Clark. And he said, Hi, guys. Just want to put out a quick thanks to Jesse for the good rundown on The Forest a couple of weeks ago. After hearing your thoughts on it, I convinced a few of my mates to get a PS4 with me. Oh, sorry, to get it on PS4 with oh, me. Oh, I was going to say, must, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I must say, we've been having we've been having a lumberjack of a good time with it. Okay, because there's a lot of chopping down trees, I guess. Yeah. Uh, with that. my wife, Nicole, occasionally glancing over at TV from time to time, she had the idea of a different survival game where players might be hobbits and you need to build a shire. Throw in a few <laughs> classic Lord of the Ring monsters and you've got a survival game where you need to eat pretty much constantly. <laughs> I know you guys were looking for a good Lord of the Rings game last week, so I've put forward her suggestion and thought it might, you might, she might be nearly onto something. I would genuinely play that just because I like Lord of the Rings. Is that one people want from Lord of the Rings though? A survival game? I mean, I mean that's, you got that, so- you got that or Gollum, so like choices are limited <laughs> at the moment. I mean, I know that that's kind of packaged as a survival game. It actually sounds more like Animal Crossing, but with a few <laughs> enemies in it. And to be quite honest, like I'd that. probably play that. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I always thought, I'm not massive on Lord of the Rings, but I always thought, you know, considering it was a book first, like narrative is the most important thing as opposed to the world. <laughs> but people love that world as well. So, yeah. yeah. I have learned I, that The Forest is one of the games where you have to be mindful of what you're saying, just because... Oh, when yeah. when we're playing it, uh, my girlfriend is actually doing a, like a night shift where she works and she's talking to her mates on Slack and whatnot. And when Dale and I are playing, I'm like, we have to get the turtle meat. 
or be careful they're throwing babies at us and they're like what fuck yeah. what am i doing my wife can hear me from the other room and she's yeah. saying um can you eat the babies <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of cannibal stuff going on in that game a lot of um freaks yeah. and caves uh, and and we've resorted to eating people now we we are the baddies <laughs> you say you say that like it took a long time i was like day one i was already like right well he attacked me so i'm eating his leg <laughs> um i i than the turtle mate i like i like survival games um but i always find them a bit of a challenge to get going on because i find the first section a bit of a slog like mm. learning all the systems and inevitably chopping down or gathering resources for a while but once you kind of get going in the system they're usually quite fun. And I found with this one, playing it with someone who's played it before and has the experience and sort of saying, oh, we can do this and we can try that. I find that kind of helped. I'm also with both chopping down trees at the same time. So it's doubling yeah. up our productivity. <laughs> I find that's really like sped up my enjoyment. And I, I'd say, you know, check it out. If you like survival games, especially if you want to play one co-op, definitely check it out. Yeah, like not many games like to build a gazebo with your mate. And yeah. this does, so it's quite special. Matt, you've been playing anything else apart from Hitman this week? Um, so I finished Demon Souls, which uh, oh, had a good time. Congrats. I think the last time I actually spoke about it on the podcast might have been when I was actually struggling with it because I found the first <laughs> hour a bit of a bit of a bastard, to be quite honest. Mm. Um, when I got into the swing of it, you can absolutely tell it's the first game that FromSoft made <laughs> yeah. in this design because it. Once I got back into my soul swing, I basically stormed the entire game. Every nice. boss, aside from three of them i think i did on the first go um the last boss little bit of a trickster but i kind of probably about six attempts and he was down so that's that's under the belt now um went back to playing demon sorry dark souls 3 which had started like last year realized i'd done so much wrong in it off some of the learnings that i got from yeah. demon souls <laughs> that i just absolutely shit canned a 25 hour save and i'm like i'll come back to that <laughs> later oh my god um but um, at the moment i'm playing near automata which is something okay. I mentioned I on the, the last podcast that. was a game that I went to see at Gamescom in 2016 and thought it looked absolute garbage. Hmm. And when it got all of these raving reviews, I like got quite upset. I was like, how dare they? It looked <laughs> dreadful. It was rubbish. Um, but I finally got around to giving it a go and actually it's really good. It's yeah. got excellent music design. It's 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 obviously mm. it's tarot, so it's a bit weird, but it's weird in a good way rather than just weird for the sake of it. I think it's yeah. got some really nice visual motifs. The the combat's quite fun, but I think I like it's just more creative than I assumed it would be because at, at Gamescom they just showed the desert off, and I was like, mm. "There's nothing in this desert. It's just running around <laughs> it and occasionally hitting a robot." Whereas the stuff that I've been doing, especially last night, I basically did a boss fight in an opera where the it was like an opera singer that basically looked like a Dalek that could fire like lasers and create crucifixes sick. with with robots on them that could hack you. Like that's a genuinely really, really cool, really inventive boss mm. fight. So so yeah, I'm into it now. I like it. What are you it's playing on? Those... Sorry, go on. What are you playing on, Matt? Uh PS4. Well PS5, but backwards compatible. Oh, okay. Fair enough. It's it's tough with those sort of games um at events when you just get such a tiny little snapshot of it. It's like where it's a game where you really sort of have to explore a lot more. Like when mm -hmm. you're gu so guided. Yeah, I've had a few of them where I've came out things thinking, yeah, no interest, not playing this again. Yeah. And then then when they actually come out, you actually go back into it and you realise, oh, but the demo was not optimal. Yeah, for it was such a weird choice for them to make because uh, Square have been very insistent that I went to see it and they were like, this is going to be big. I was like, nobody liked the 
the original Nier, like everybody thought that was crap. I know it's got a cult kind of following, but in general, yeah. no one particularly liked it. And then them just showing off an empty desert with some round robots in it, I just didn't get it at all. If they'd yeah. shown a boss fight which showed the creativity of that game, you know, it's a game where you can flip from being like a third person action, like Kamiya almost style you know it's a platinum game obviously and then suddenly you get hacked by a robot and it goes into a mini game where it's all it's a shmup basically yeah. and the amount of like the other thing it does is it's constantly flipping the camera which i really like because occasionally it will be side on it reminds me a lot of final fantasy 7's kind of 2d environments where you'll be mm. jumping there's a bit where you're jumping through an amusement park over these big kind of collapsed uh, rides and that reminded me a lot of when you and Aerith are jumping through the slums from kind of yeah. like these weird weirdly scale houses so it's kind of <laughs> oddly nostalgic for a particular period of japanese game design i feel while also being a lot more creative than most games these days are so yeah i've been massively turned around on that no oh. Good stuff. Right, let's do it. It's time for the endless search. Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Yeah, 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 and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. It's the endless search. Matt, you've got a game for us. I have, yeah. I'm Game Master today. Um, last week, Joe did, uh, he did the uh, Go On Name Em. He was like, Classic. every time we we do a, a quiz, like it really should be Go On Name Em. Whereas, yeah. as people have seen last week, I'm not that great at Go On Name Em, unless it's a real specialist subject. So this is the one that I wish it was every week, which is PG Tips. I thought it might be. There we go. There we go, yeah. I don't think I've ever played PG Tips. Have you? Maybe I have. I, I, it's it's hard to remember because when you when I'm not on episodes, I listen to them, so mm-hmm. it feels like I've been a part of them. But should we get a reminder of the rules then? Since yeah, might not be sounds like you want a reminder of the rules. <laughs> yeah, that was me, like slightly hinting, like I can't remember. So just go ahead. <laughs> so so PG Tips is based on the parental guidance written by people that actually write on IMDb. So it's not. This is not from kind Freaks. of like government boards for for monitoring uh, parental guidance. This is actually from viewers or in this case players because we're doing about games today so i have got four different games and each one has five clues and they are each a piece of parental guidance from from imdb they start off kind of vague and get more accurate as they go on to the game so if you can get them earlier on in the clues you get more points and obviously it's whoever gets the most points will win Nice. Let's so do it. there is, I've cho- there's a rough kind of unifying theme which you will probably understand as it goes on, but okay. it's been chosen <laughs> specifically because of you, you boys. All right, oh. uh, Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So first, first game, first clue. It is okay. strongly implied that at least twenty people were brutally murdered and cannibalized. One victim in particular was burnt to death. Ooh, Resident Evil Four. No, afraid not. <laughs> I can't get Resident Evil games out of my head now. I really need to get off that train of thought. Mm. Uh, Evil Within 2. No. I've never... You know, Evil Within 2 is one of those games that I think looks really cool and never got around to. Yeah. I only ever played a few hours of it. Yeah, it wasn't my favourite. I can't think of many burn-into-death games. (laughs) Well, the fact that it says it was implied, it means, I guess, like it happened... Oh, is Last of Us Part 2? No, no, sorry. Next clue. Okay, next clue. (laughs) A man 
is stabbed through the hand with a knife. Oh, uh, res- I've already said Resident Evil 4. I know exactly what you're thinking of as well. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Yeah. Um, casino. No, it's not. Oh, it's, not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a film as well. Um, uh, mm, Kane and Lynch. No. God. What Kane. a game. I don't know. It was oh, a shit game. Might have happened. That was Goodbye, IO, what? wasn't it? Thinking Actually, of it. Yeah, it was. I mean, Which I was, love it. was it the sequel or the third one? Or I don't even know if they did a third one. No, they one only of them did the second with- one. Pardon? They only did the second one. That's when they're all naked in like Hong Kong or something. Dog days, is that when it's it? all like looks like it's shot on a phone? Yeah. Yeah, it just looks yeah. grim. That's bizarre. That's uh, got a real cult following. You know, people really like that game. Really? Yeah. Okay. Weirdos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody for the knife through the hand? No. Saw the video game. No, sorry, Jesse. I like those Balls. games. Oh, God. Sorry, right. What the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> Okay, next one is a man has a message painfully tattooed on his arm by a robot. Oh my Ooh. god. Is it Death Stranded? No. Deus so, Ex Human Revolution. It's not, no. So what I will say is I've chosen this one because I think it's quite funny that he says it's by a robot. I okay. would think of the term robot quite loosely. Right. Binary domain. No. Oh, As I say, quite way. loosely, they literally are robots in binary domain, Jesse. Yeah, Think of I know. Maybe like because they're like more androidy. Android I don't know. Is it cyberpunk? It's no. not. No. Are we going to kick ourselves? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, as I say, yeah. think yes. like really loosely as robot, kind of like not human, <laughs> but kind of a mechanized man. Oh. <laughs> You will like you will be able to visualize it so clearly when I tell you what the game oh, is. This is. Bullshit! I'm not getting it, man. I know. I just can't stop thinking of a Terminator. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not a Terminator game. Um, I think we're gonna have to have the last clue. Okay. Well, no, there's two more clues. So oh, two okay. more. Next one is mannequins scattered around the first house depict breasts, but nothing suggestive is shown. Resident Evil Seven. Yes. Balls. Oh God! What? Wait, go. so what's, Wait, what's what, we, what are we one? thinking of the tattoo? The tattoo is, you know, when you play the VHS cassettes, and there's that weird fucking little mannequin that grabs your arm and he carves oh, a message yeah. into oh, your arm. Oh, the clown! Yeah, Fuck. yeah, the happy birthday thing. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Man, I'm sad. <laughs> Good job, Dale. There we go. The, the last clue would have been the player can have their hand and or foot cut off with a chainsaw. The player then retrieves their severed body part as an item. Do you reckon that's in Resident Evil 8? Because there's a, there's a clip in that trailer where they like throw a, like, a hook into their leg. Uh, Do you reckon there's like like um, body parts being removed and then putting them back on with some <laughs> healing gel, I mean, whatever it was? It, it, it is mad that like Jack Bacon can like remove your leg with a shovel and then he just puts some ointment on it and it's like, it's back. <laughs> I do yeah. really like the animation where you like douse yourself in it. I think it's really quite makes it's no satisfying. sense whatsoever, yeah. but I like the animation. It's very weird. Anyway. Right. Uh-huh. So that's Dale with mm. a whole two points, Dale. Yeah. Damn it, I'm not a real it. Resident Evil fan. <laughs> Damn it. Right, next game. First clue. A character is seen taking a bath, however, no nudity is shown. She later walks around in a bath towel in a non-sexual way. Once again, no nudity. Walks around in a non-sexual way after taking a bath. Mm. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2? Nope. That's, I don't think there's a female that does. Goes in a bath. 
<laughs> I was just thinking of um, um, what's his face is in the back. I was yeah, say John yeah, Marston. Yeah. Morgan. Alpha Morgan. I see here. Yeah. GTA nope. 5. No. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm getting this one either. Oh, okay. Shall I move on? Yes, please. A character can be instantly beheaded should they open a door. The head is lingered on by the camera. Though this scene is just as gory as the rest of the game, the scene tends to be more shocking due to how quickly it transpires. Evil Within 2? No. <laughs> I feel like this is maybe a Resident Evil game as well. So I'm going to say Resident Evil 3. It's not Resident Evil okay. 3. Are there any decapitations in Resident Evil 3? Probably. Oh, so I've only played think, the remake, so I... I think one of the enemies can slice your head off, maybe. Yeah, that's what sure. I was thinking of, like, the hunters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in that Actually, one they game. definitely can take your head off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Resident Evil Code Veronica. It's not Code Veronica. <laughs> there is, like, a somewhat naked scene there, but it's not in the bath, so... Hmm... Mm. We moving on, boys? Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Okay. A character or characters fall to their death after being chased off a cliff. You see the aftermath. The bodies until have dawn. some blood. Pardon? Until dawn. It is until dawn. Oh, nice. Right. There we go, Jesse. <laughs> Three points. Get in. Makes sense now. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Your other clues would have been, this game is very violent. If it were a movie, it would be rated R for strong bloody violence and language, <laughs> including some sexual references, all involving teens. Yeah. And then a character is split in half by a large saw, blood and guts spurting up. Though the camera focuses on the character's facial expressions, you can still see their intestines fall out and watch the violence play out, which is my long-lasting memory of Until Dawn. Yeah. I think we've got the theme anyway. There we so go. Let's, let's, get, let's keep this train rolling. <laughs> right. Next game, first clue. You can shoot enemies. Blood is shown. More powerful weapons will completely take off body parts, resulting in gruesome aftermath. Dead Space? No. Evil Within 1? It's not Evil Within 1. Wait, the way you said that, Evil Within 2? Just in case. It's not Evil Within 2. That would be I'll be pissed off if you got that. (laughs) What I will say is is I did want to include the Evil Within 2 in this and I could not find enough bloody clues. Nobody's written about that. So there's uh, there's one you can strike off your list for the next two entries. Mm, okay. So its body parts can be removed by powerful weapons was basically the gist. Mm-hmm. Mm, what horror game is this? <laughs> uh, Lego Indiana Jones. Mm. I'm going to need another clue. Right, okay. Yeah, Towards the end of the game, a horse sadly gets shot in the head. May deeply upset horse or animal lovers. Red Dead Redemption it's 2. sudden and quite shocking. Red Dead Redemption 2. It's not Red Dead Redemption 2. Fun. Because you can blow people up in that game pretty gory style. Yeah, actually, Red Dead is surprisingly bloody <laughs> when he wants to be. God. Again, I feel like I'm going to be killed. Oh, the, the Last of Us? Pardon? The Last of Us? It is The Last of Us, Jesse. Oh, nice. Yeah, because a horse ends up... I, I remember when the horse dies and I got quite upset about it. <laughs> Damn it. Then uh, your other clues would have been... The game as a whole is incredibly intense. However, that's absolutely nothing compared to the sequel. then there is a scene of a man trapped underneath a cupboard who begs the player to shoot and kill them the scene is not optional but the player has a choice of either killing the man to end his suffering or leaving him alive to become infected and the final one would have been any experience this one I thought was really weird and I'm not entirely sure I understand it any experience with a bloater can be intense due to the fact that they kill you brutally they rip your mouth open in one shot and take a lot of ammo sneaking past them is worse 
How is sneaking what? past them worse? It's mm. straight up isn't. Also, one of the clues you said suggested about. that they finished the sequel and then went back to the first game to add in a PG tips to it. Which is quite sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I love about the kills in The Last of Us is the great use of music and editing, like the mm. way oh, yeah. it like, ends on the frame of the most violent moment. So yeah. powerful. Right, last game. But Jesse, Jesse's currently leading it. If this game was made into a film, it would be rated NC-17 for extreme horror violence and explicit sexuality. Ooh. NC-17, is that is that true? What is that? That's near, that's an 18 in, in the States, oh, okay. basically. Mm. Explicit sexuality, you say? Mm. Mm. <laughs> this game is fucking gross, and I hope I never have to play it again. Oh. No. Ooh, that feels like a better clue. It's definitely going to be a Well, that game, comes then. from this horror violence and explicit sexuality. Like, it is exactly what that makes it sound like. God, what's Wait, can you just repeat that clue again, please? If the game was made into a film, it would be rated NC-17 for extreme horror violence and explicit sexuality. Manhunt? No. I've not actually played Manhunt. Pardon? It's not hatred, is it? No. Is that no. what the game was called? No. Yeah, no. Absolutely. On principle, I would not include hatred <laughs> yeah. on this. Yeah, I'm thinking it's not going to be one of those like really sort of indie shock games. No, no. Like, big budget thing. Like it's 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 a it's a genuine game by a genuine developer. I'll put it as that. Mm. I'm trying to think of horrible games I've played. I'm just, mm. <laughs> I've probably played it, but and something. Yeah. Really <laughs> I still think this the scariest game is PT. Like by that far, is true. Yeah. I'm so sorry, I never got a chance to play that. Okay, next next clue would be violence is inflicted on the player, on the player character by the antagonists of the game, which consist of supernatural creatures as well as human enemies, such as crazed cultists and guards. Outlast Two. It is Outlast Two, Jesse. Bastard. (laughs) That game was shit. I'm not massive on Outlast either, to be honest. First I think game's like, a lot better, I think, than Outlast yeah, 2. I quite like the first one. Like I think the first one was one of those kind of from the amnesia kind of like boom and kind of yeah. I guess is closer to sort of like what Resi sort of ended up to. You can see all of the threads there. Mm. I mean Outlast 2 is just utterly gross. Like, it's yeah. just horrible. Uh, the next clue would have been some of the strongest scenes show a cultist torturing a woman on a rack, a person being crucified and nailed to a cross, as well as a character slitting his own throat. Then a sequence in the game has the player come across a pit full of dead sacrificed children. The player mm. is forced to walk over the deceased accompanied by loud crunching noises. And the final <laughs> one, which was a news story that I wrote back in the day, uh, an update on the PC version added back added back some content that was removed for the AO rating, such as more of the birthing scene and the orgy. Oh. Oh, I don't remember. Even, don't even remember that shit happening. So I Do you not? The that, early that, build. No. So I played this as when I used to live in my old house at, at Bath. Um, I was kind of the one that would play horror games, and everybody else liked horror games but couldn't play them. So we yeah. do it as kind of like a like a live theatre sort of viewing. Yeah. Um, and I can remember us playing that, and just none of us wanting to sort of like do anything after that because it was just a everyone sort of needs to go and have a shower now. Yeah. <laughs> Just feel icky and gross. Yeah. yeah. Well, there we go. Jesse stormed it. He's a well done, mate. big horror boy, isn't he? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Feedback. Matt, you're up first. There we go. So uh, this one 
uh, has a uh, actually has it comes with a title from Mike uh, Tapia who says licenses to brill, <laughs> yeah. which I like a fun little pun. <laughs> uh, hey boys, really enjoying this big franchise loving that's been going on recently. It reminds me of the SNES days when there were movie, TV show, and fast food games all over the place. Any old shite got a game. <laughs> I kind of hope that right. we can head back in this direction again, which is a bold bold wish. Uh, I'd 100% love to see Ubisoft produce a AAA Nando's game or a Maxis EastEnders soap sim. I mean, like, in the 90s, there was, like, you know, the, the Consparts like, and the... Um, what was the Chopper Chops then, game? Or Mega Drive? Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, there have been a few, like, EastEnders or Coronation Street, like, puzzle point-and-click games. I'm certain of it. I've seen in Pound I remember <laughs> as a kid going into a game and distinctly remember there was a Coronation Street video game that was, like, yeah. called, like, The Mystery of Betty's Hot Pot or something That's like exactly that. exactly it. My, uh, my friend who does Twitch streaming, he did a live Twitch stream of playing that game. Of Betty's, <laughs> I think it's, like, Betty's Hot Pot or Betty's Missing Hot Pot yeah. or something That's like that. That's fucking sad. What, what a weird time. <laughs> Anyway, back to Mike. Failing that, I do have some genuinely great ideas for future game pairings. Someone please give Kojima the Evangelion license. He has has previous with big mechy action and a penchant for gloriously OTT characters and story beats. Um, Which, yeah, I think I actually, having been playing um, Nier recently, I actually think Taro is probably actually a a really good shout for Evangelion. Maybe yeah. the two of them should get together because everybody wants Kojima to work with someone else, right? So yeah, exactly. I mean, Kojima He's already makes confusing like madness and Evangelion is already hard to follow once you get past the episode. So pairing that with Kojima would probably cause the world <laughs> to explode. Yeah, either, uh, last week we were talking about how the fact that anime is actually bullshit and we, none of us have watched it. <laughs> Evangelion what? is actually one of the animes that I've watched all the way through and generally quite like what it's going for, but it does get nonsense towards the end. So yeah, kind of like a game reinterpretation of that story where it actually kind of holds it together all the way through. I definitely play. Just play the um, N64 one. version of Evangelion. Pardon? There you go. Play the Nintendo 64 game of Evangelion, which is the only good one. It's kind of like just the mech v mech like action game. I'm, just follows I'm not, the. I'm not playing an N64 game. It's, it's just good, mate. It's good. <laughs> that, that's mainly for anyone else who doesn't know they exist. Search it up. <laughs> However, Mike's next one. I genuinely do think sounds cool. I'd also love a game set in the Fargo universe. Rockstar would be a great candidate for an unfurling, violent and ludicrous story filled with wonderfully unique personalities. Alternatively, Quantum Quantic Dream could work for a darker, more low-key branching narrative where your choices along the way can have knock-off effects throughout the town, which I think Fargo, both as, as the Coen Brothers film and the TV series done by Noah Hawley, that is great and does is very weird and has kind of like... I think quite interesting potential for video game storytelling because of how branching and weirdly interconnected all those stories are. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would about say Fargo. you don't need the Fargo license to no. do this sort of yeah. game, though. Like you can definitely follow that sort of idea ideology. Um, I would love to see. Uh, who, what was the first company said? Uh, Rockstar do it. Um, Quantic Dream, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not I'm, I'm not massive on their games, to be honest. I think that's more about. Uh, the man in charge as opposed to the actual mm. games so. yeah it's um there have been some particular issues at that studio regarding both his writing and the the conditions that those people work in i must say i do genuinely really like detroit but i think i remember heavy rain coming out and everybody absolutely loving heavy rain and i just couldn't see it it just didn't work for me at all um i, I'm, I'm, I mean like obviously he's recent issues i'm just talking 
purely from as a writer perspective, I just think he's not a very good writer. You know <laughs> how he, he, he's quite <laughs> full of himself, and you know how in yeah. Indigo Prophecy, he's in the, the, fucking tutorial. the tutorial, he's in it <laughs> as like the game's director, and you're on the sound stage of the film. That and I'm fairly sure that instead of start start game, it's like play movie. In Indigo Prophecy, uh, he's so obsessed with the idea that he's actually a film director rather than a game director. Sounds like it's... another person who develops games that we just previously mentioned not too long ago. <laughs> he's, I think he's better at the gameplay than, than older yes. cages. Anyway, yeah. Mike says, you guys know game people? Make it happen. We don't know don't. them in that respect, but... Yeah. Oh, I do. I do. It's fine. Okay, yeah, get I'll your own color. On a side <laughs> uh, he also says, P.S. As a kid... I didn't really like milk, so I would often have a bowl of dry Weetabix and sugar, which you crushed up into crumbs. That is straight Mike, up grim. You, you are a freak, mate. Jesse, uh, you cut out a bit when you said, what did you that's, say then? That's grim. That's Even, grim. I, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't big into like having milk and cereal as a kid. Like, And if I was just to eat cereal, it would be by itself. I've changed my ways now, but I would not dare just crunch up like Weetabix and sugar into a fine powder. That doesn't sound I, right. I, I, I must say, in my um, poorer days... There might have been an occasion or two when I was late night snacking on like a bowl of cornflakes with no milk on them, just as oh, like yeah. a little snack. Just oh no, like I still do that today. Like cereal acts is like a perfect snack, but you're not. I wouldn't do that now. Sit, sits on your stomach all night, mate. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that <laughs> oh, now, that's mate. fine, mate. I love eating at one p.m. <laughs> I think it's it's the Weetabix. Like I'd probably actually quite happily sit with a box of cereal by the side of me and just kind of take a handful of cornflakes out every now and again. Yeah. It's Weetabix is it's so dry without the milk, yeah. mate. It's Messy like, as well. Goes everywhere. Yeah. You gotta have that Imagine lubricated picking up a mouth. slab of Weetabix, just having a bite. It goes all down your face. <laughs> Grim. Um, there's a. Uh, Adele, I assume you've given me two because they link. Because the second one. Uh, no. no. <laughs> so I give you two because I had two as well. And Jesse's got a long one. I just thought, uh, mm, do some feedback. So. Well, this so this one from, from Dave F. from Ireland also has some, some serial goss in it. Um, so he says, in the early 90s, I went on a school trip to the Aran Islands. It's basically the real craggy island from Father Ted. Love it. Uh, Anyway, one of the mornings we were having breakfast at the place that we were staying and a nun sat down at the table right next to me with a bowl of cereal in her hand. Based on her age and the size of her glasses, I surmise surmise that she probably struggled with her eyesight. She bought a sugar bowl in front of her, scooped a mountain of sugar onto her spoon and began began sprinkling it on her cereal. At seeing this, my immediate thought was either she thinks she has cornflakes in that bowl or she just really <laughs> likes to put a lot of sugar on her Frosties. <laughs> oh if I had been an adult, I would have helped to dodge that sugary bullet, but I was bored te- a bored teenager looking for an amusing anecdote. And here it is being recanted over 25 years later. From Dave. Worth it. Would you Worth really it. would have tried and helped or stopped her at this age if you saw that about to occur? I mean, I don't maybe- think you would. Maybe he's right. Like you, you get double stuffed Oreos. Why not like double frosted frosties? It's, it's madness. Oh, I'm not, not massive on mate, sugar on cereal. Buzzing. Sorry, Jesse. I'm not massive on sugar on cereal as it is anyway. Because, like, I kind of want to wake up. I don't want to be just loading up on sugar in the morning. Yeah. But to double up on frosties with sugar—that's insane. <laughs> Od on sugar. These people are mad. I mean, she was a nun. Like, maybe it was like she uh, needs the energy for the Lord. Mate. <laughs> he loves the sugar uh, yeah <laughs> maybe alright okay uh, I've got the next one this is from no it's not from Dan Clark because we've already read that it was about the forest so this is the next one it's from Daniel Tate and he says right 
we need to settle this. Sunny D was not the beverage that contained bull spunk. In our school in Newcastle, it was a well-known fact that it was actually Red Bull that contained bull spunk. And, that's the, and that the ingredient taurine is, was the culprit. I mean, think about it. It's called Red Bull. Clearly the most obvious choice of a drink to involve bull spunk. Fuck this Sunny D malarkey. Since they changed it, I think I'd prefer the spunk version. Okay, so, Daniel. Sunny- that, that's a bold claim at the end, at the end there, mate. Um, I actually tweeted about this the other day because we were getting people writing in. And I've seen other people saying apparently there was a rumour that it turned you yellow as a child. Oh, that, that was drank. the one at my school, yeah. So, okay, so that one seems like it's spread a little bit wider, that rumour. I swear that um, actually happened, though, to one kid who drank Sunny D, like, literally every day. Her skin changed a little <laughs> bit. Because I, I went to the Wikipedia page for Sunny D, and I know that's not, like, the all, like the end all of, like, facts and knowledge. But it is that story is on the Wikipedia page of Sunny D, I'm certain. How do you measure that though? What's like what do you constitute as a little bit yellow? Like I, John did. Can he have like Yeah, exactly. Can he have some sort of other medical condition? And it wasn't related to Sunny D consumption. Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's nonsense. But yeah, does Sunny D still exist, right? Like yeah. you can still buy it. I don't think yeah, it's pulled from it. the market though, because like I remember like seeing that in like uh, Iceland when I was a kid. <laughs> we used to drink a decent amount of it, and then just at some point it just disappeared from our lives forever. I, th- I think it, I, I think it was taken off the shelves for a while, and I don't know if it was kind of a Turkey Twizzler deal in that yeah. some government agency or, or a Jamie Oliver figure kind Do of got. Better. Yeah, decided that there were too much sugar in it because it was. It was absolutely like four percent orange to a like ninety six percent sugar. <laughs> I, I have the sugar. Wikipedia page open in terms of the story of a four year old girl who experienced her skin turning orange due to the product's use of beta carotene f- for color after drinking an estimated one point five liters of Sunny Delight a day. What? So well, that, that's how on real the that is That's not. an insane amount. Of drink. <laughs> a day? Oh. How much does that cost? Jesus Christ! Where is that kid today? Can you imagine that nun from the previous story, like putting all this sugar on her frosties and then also down in a big bottle of Sunny D as well? It's like, you, you, know, in, off the my skin you know, in Juno, when she buys the massive Sunny D just yeah. so that she can do the pregnancy test, just a nun <laughs> swigging on a big gallon of Sunny D. Uh, right, Jesse, you've got the last one. It's a, it's a doozy. Yes, I saw. <laughs> this is Ricky McNamara. And he McNamara. says, what's up, lads? First of all, I just want to say thanks for provi- providing me with endless entertainment through the form of a podcast. That stupid shit, you, the stupid shit you talk a lot about um, each week is just fucking great. Cool. <laughs> um, I started the podcast back in September when I needed something else to listen to other than my boring music place at work and quickly sifted back and started listening to many previous episodes. Anyway, Star Wars, Serial and Robbery. These three fit into the same story. My story isn't about the cereal itself, but the toy that came with it. When I was a younger, when I was when I was younger, Kellogg's ran a Star Wars Episode Three promotion across their cereal brands. They did this by including a mini Star Wars lightsaber with a mini ball puzzle game inside the lightsaber in the cereal box. There were six to collect, and I've included a picture at the bottom of this email to show you what I'm waffling on about. I'm pretty sure, as a side note, I might have had one of those as a kid. Oh, I definitely I had them. Like it was around yeah. like episode one, wasn't it? I think maybe, maybe a little bit. Just said episode, episode three. three I, I remember the was it Sticky Tongue Jar Jar that was in cereal? <laughs> was that? <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. Do you get crisp. toys in cereal anymore? Does that even happen? I'm I think sh- I think it's all been banned because of the like choking. Yeah. choking and like it's just not good for kids is it to advertise like sugary cereal with cartoon characters mm. yeah fair enough 
Ricky goes on to say, though, after many a cereal box were open, I eventually had five out of the six. The one left being, ironically, my favorite one, Mace Windu's lightsaber. That's a, that's a good one. I would eat them. <laughs> I, I would eat through boxes of cereal as fast as I possibly could in order to get to my, in order to get my mum to buy more boxes for, for these toys. Luckily, I have two brothers, so this wasn't too difficult. Anyway, a couple of weeks went by after plenty of moaning and begging to my parents for more boxes of cereal and not getting that sweet purple boy. I gave up. But then, one day at my primary school, someone in my class bought, bought in that coveted Mace Windu lightsaber and showed it off to everyone. That fool. I was extremely jealous. I offered him a trade for my many doubles I had. To my demise, he always said no. I didn't know what to do. I needed the lightsaber. I had to have it, though. I had to have it through any means necessary. So one day at school during break time, I went back into the building to go to the toilet. I actually snuck into the classroom, went to this boy's personal tray where we stored our work, etc., and stole the lightsaber. I knew it was wrong, but I had to have it. I kept it quiet for the rest of the day, and when the end of the day came, I swiftly vacated the building, not wasting any time. The next day at school, I brought the lightsaber. Why do you do that, man? Sorry. The next day, when <laughs> the next day, I brought in the lightsaber and claim that I got it out of the box of Cocoa Pops I opened this morning and bragged about how my collection was complete. People actually bought it. This was amazing. <laughs> Meanwhile, the other boy was distraught that his, that his had gone missing and quickly noticed the buzz around me. I was the talk of the class. I loved it. However, this boy secretly reported me and it was looked into. In, in the end, I ended up being found out, made to look like a fool and was very upset that I saw this lightsaber slip away from my grasp. After that, my mum vowed to never buy me cereal that contained a toy ever again. Karma, I suppose. Thanks, guys, from Rick. And for the love of Mace Windu, respect the sea. What a Why story, did you brag eh? about it, bro? You could have easily gotten away with it, but you had to show it off. Yeah, fool. What a fool. Well, that's not the lesson here. Obviously, don't steal. Yeah, my, my favorite bit was when he was like, I'll give you free Yodas for your Mace Windu. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to negotiate with lightsabers. Like Pokemon cards and shit. Oh, so yeah. when I was... Uh, this is a, a story for when I was a kid. Um, you know, when Pokemon cards were at their height... There was um, obviously Dale. Were you still? I imagine you've probably gone to like high school where no one cared about Pokemon by the time. Uh, yeah, I remember Pokemon being a thing with people, but I was never into it. So mm -hmm. I didn't like, really I was super into it, notes. and like obviously there was the the big Pokemon card. Like in that first thing was Charizard. Everybody had to have Charizard. I can remember being on the school bus and like the hottest girl on the school bus had got a Charizard and she was just showing it off and I was like, I've got to fucking have this Charizard. <laughs> so I, I offered every single one of my shiny cards to her and she fucking gave me the Charizard. So I lost all these shinies, but then someone told her that the Charizard was worth 30 quid, which is what they were selling them for down at Wolverhampton Market. Oh my oh my God, um, so then they came chasing me to trade back the Charizard. So I had to hide the Charizard and pretend it had gone. It's like, nah, traded it off, traded it off for all these bell sprouts. <laughs> oh my God. I love the fact that you added that she was the hottest girl in school. She was like, and you it, went up to her like, show us your Charizard. <laughs> the thing was, is like, I would never have spoken to that girl in any other format of aside from the fact the that Charizard. she got this Charizard that I desperately wanted. Mm. Yeah, and now you, yeah now since you then that Charizard was stolen off me. So it was <gasps> worth it, wasn't it? By her. No, it wasn't Possibly. her. This was years no. later when like my sister's friend's like little brother came around and he was obsessed with Pokemon cards and was like, Can I look at your Pokemon cards from when you were a kid? And what? uh when I went back in, there were no Charizard left anymore. What about though what if he was a secret agent for her and it was a whole long <laughs> Ten years to get later. Charizard back? <laughs> Deliberate scheme. <laughs> She's laughing now. Clearly. Charizard to the bank. <laughs> uh yeah, that's it. 
What a lovely time, eh? That, you didn't you didn't sound convincing when you said that, Dale, if I'm going to be honest with you. It was a question, mate. As in the statement, I was saying, Jesse, was it a lovely time? It was a lovely time, Dale. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, right, let's move on for that. We need some music, actually. Have we even spoke about any music today. Does Mace Windu have a theme? No, even if he did, I'm not playing it. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible character, Mace Windu, by the way. Terrible Listen character. here. You don't. You haven't read the many comics I have, Dale. That expands the character. Um, oh, do you know what? I can't. Is Hitman Three got any good music? I mean, it's got it's got quite Bondy sort of music, hasn't it? There's not an yeah. individual theme that I can think of though, but we'll find something. I'll find a hit, the Hitman Three theme. We'll do whatever that I'm sure, is. That yeah, in. I'm sure everyone's still tuned into this very moment to listen to the final seconds hey. of the song. We don't see the retention numbers, so um, it doesn't matter. We can just assume that everybody is still listening at this point. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. Uh, okay. Thank you very much for listening. Oh, remember to send in your feedback as well to IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Um, send in more quizzes as well. We've had a, the, the quizzes has dried up a little bit, so you might be able to get yours played. So make sure you send it in. Uh, all right. Cool. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye. 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 Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.